are continuing this year as we go through the Gospels and we are getting to know Jesus better. And we're looking at his words, we're looking at these different sayings, the interactions that he's had with many different people, and here he's interacting with the Pharisees. Job 14.5 says, A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months, and you have set limits he cannot exceed. Time. Time is probably one of the most precious commodities in the history of the world. People are continually trying to save time, buy time, stretch out time, and spare some time. The tendency, at least here in America, seems to be to make the most out of every moment that we have been given. However, laptop computers invade romantic vacations. Video games distract from breathtaking vistas on cross-country road trips. And cell phones lure away family members mentally during the evening meal. One clever cell phone company uh, had an app that they said parents could download and they could stop all incoming internet signals during certain times, especially dinner time. And God instituted a kind of pause button as well for his chosen people, Israel. It's called the Sabbath, a day of rest each week that is set apart as holy. But there are many misunderstandings about the Sabbath as seen here in our text today where Jesus is interacting with these Pharisees. And one of the main questions that we're going to be dealing with here in this message is how does this Sabbath apply to me, if at all, as a Christian? And so a few basics here before we dig into the text. When people think about the Sabbath, they think of Jewish rules or laws or perhaps fiddler on the roof. But we must remember that originally, God was the very first one who observed the Sabbath. We see this in Genesis 2, 2 through 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now we must recognize as we read this particular text that God did not rest because he was tired or needed to rest. We know that based on Isaiah 40, verse 28, which says, Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And so there must have been a different reason that God rested on the seventh day. And we see the answer to that question in Exodus 20, where the Sabbath is highlighted as the third of the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or a sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The reason that the Sabbath is a special day is not because people take a break on it, but rather because God has made it holy. He has blessed it. He has set it apart. And the blessedness and holiness of the day are the reason for our rest. Another basic reminder concerning the Sabbath is that it's on the seventh day of the week, which in the Jewish calendar is Saturday. 
In fact, the Hebrew word for Saturday is Shabbat, which means rest or Sabbath. And so why do Christians refer to Sunday as the Sabbath? Well, it's because in the New Testament, the scripturally accepted day for meeting as a church was always on the first day of the week, or Sunday. We see this in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Also in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul urges, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something to store it up as he may prosper, that there will be no collecting when I come. And so they were gathering an offering on that particular day. And so what was the reason that they picked Sunday over Saturday? Well, it's very easy, because the Lord rose from the grave on Sunday. And so that became a very special day for meeting together. And according to Colossians 2:16 through 17, Christians are no longer bound to observe the Sabbath on Saturday or to observe some kind of Christian Sabbath on Sunday. In that passage it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These things are but a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so each of these things, these rules and regulations, these days, these festivals that were set apart were to point to Christ, something about Christ that we needed to understand. But does that mean that we throw everything out now in regard to the Sabbath? I would say no based on a couple of things. First, I find it interesting that the keeping of the Sabbath is something that's listed in the Ten Commandments. Something affirmed by Luther in his catechism when he states that we despise the third commandment when we despise the preaching of God's word. Luther is obviously focusing on the call to a holy day, set apart for hearing God's word, rather than a Sabbath that's referred to in the Old Testament here. Second, note Jesus' statement in regard to the law in Matthew 5.17. He declares to his own disciples here, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so how do we fulfill the law of Christ in regard to the Sabbath? What does this look like for us today? Well, I think our passage here that was just read by Sherry helps us greatly, and I have three points for you to consider in regard to the Sabbath. First, the Sabbath reveals our need. Back when I was doing prison ministry in California, I taught a seminary-level leadership class to 36 men. And once every nine weeks, these guys in the class received an assignment from me. They were to take a passage of scripture and do an exegetical study on it. And the limit for the paper was five pages. And when I first started the class, I was fairly lenient in regard to grading Uh, in that five-page parameter. But after a while, I realized that many of the guys figured that if they wrote more material, they would get a better grade. And so I began to get papers that were nine and 10 and 11 pages long. And having to grade 36 papers and being a pastor at the same time, having limited time to do that, I said, look guys, five pages is the limit. 
Because it dawned on me, it actually takes more work to write a five-page paper than it does to write a ten-page paper. As Martin Luther is quoted as saying at the end of his life, if I had my time to do over again, I would make my sermons much shorter, for I am conscious, conscious that they have been too wordy. Perhaps you're wishing right now that I wouldn't wait till the end of my life to come to this realization, right? <laughs> and I began to tell my students that if they went over the five-page limit, they would not receive an A on their paper. But this didn't stop some of them from trying to cram 10 pages worth of material onto five pages of paper. One man named David began to handwrite his papers from one edge of the sheet to the other, from the top to the bottom, using the finest print that he could, barely leaving any room between words. <laughs> he could barely read the paper. And so then I had to require of him, no, you have to type your papers from now on. 12 spaced, you know, double spaced and all that kind of stuff. Many of this, these things refer to us in our lives as well, though. We're continually to trying to cram as much as humanly possible into the 168 hours that we are allotted each week. And maybe we think if we do this, if we fill up all our time and do all this work, we're going to get an A in this life. But scripture indicates that God wants us to have margin in our lives. He originally instituted the Sabbath in order to give this to us. And now that we are not bound to the Sabbath laws another way of working comes into view. And I'm speaking of the work that God did in regard to salvation, how he earned God's favor for us. We can detect it in the pride or despair that we feel at the end of the day when we lie on our beds meditating on how well or poorly we did in regard to obeying God. If we did well, we think God likes us better, right? And if we failed, oh, God's not super happy with me right now, and my salvation might be in jeopardy. Listen to what God has said about Israel regarding the rest that he wanted them to enter. This is in Hebrews 3, 10 through 11. I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, my Sabbath. And he goes on to say in verse 19, they were unable to enter because they didn't work hard enough. No. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. <laughs> Something so simple, they didn't believe. And as Christians, we fail to enter God's rest when we do not believe in his promises about the forgiveness of our sins. We continue to strive and strain each day to be good enough. Will our time on this earth be filled with this striving, this straining day after day, filling the entire page so that there's no other room? All the while working for his approval instead of resting in his grace and mercy. Notice what Jesus said to the Pharisees in regard to the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Lord had intended the Sabbath to bring freedom to people, not to pile more of a burden on them. They were to be free as they realized that their salvation was in the work of Christ. They didn't have to do it for themselves. But the Pharisees here, they were enslaved to the law. 
While they were technically resting on Saturday, they were busy trying to work their justification before God. And keeping the Sabbath as a Christian predominantly means that we are resting in the finished work of Christ. Next, we see that the Sabbath reveals the supremacy of Christ. Jesus had a natural way of infuriating the Jewish leaders of his day. And he does it here again in verse 28, where he declares that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And when you're Lord over something, that means you make the rules. If you want to introduce a new twist to the pre-existing rule, you're totally authorized to do so. And so here Jesus uses scripture to show that under certain circumstances, the strict Sabbath laws could be and were relaxed. David and his mighty men, they were allowed to eat bread according to the law that only the priests were supposed to eat, right? Here Jesus' disciples were following that custom that was set forth in Deuteronomy 23.25, which allowed a traveler to go through a field and collect some grain. Somebody's field that wasn't there, that's not their field. They're collecting somebody else's grain. They could do that. But because it was on a Sabbath, they were breaking the law that prohibited, now listen, harvesting. You can't harvest on the Sabbath. Now, this is the main point about all the times in the New Testament that Jesus broke the Sabbath, broke. At those times, he was going about the work of his Father, healing crippled people, raising the dead. And if you're going about the work of your Father, you are in touch with the heart of the Sabbath, what it's really about. Take, for instance, the priests in the temple. Because they were serving God, they worked on the Sabbath. Normal people couldn't do some of the things that they were doing. And Jesus declared that he is greater than the priests, greater than King David, and that his followers are exempt because they're going about his work. And according to Matthew 11.30, Jesus declares, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. His work is not burdensome because you have the Holy Spirit working within you, doing his work through you. Another example of Jesus changing the law in the Old Testament is in regard to Peter. He had a vision from the Lord. In that vision, he saw sheep being let down with all these different kinds of unclean animals. And God told him in the vision, go, kill and eat. Never, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. He was following the law. But Jesus said, no. Do not call something unclean that I have called clean. Was the point about food? No, it wasn't about food. It was about the Gentiles. He's trying to show him that the Gentiles who were considered unclean by the Jewish people were now welcomed into the kingdom. Something had changed from the Old Testament. Something had been overarched by the new reality in Christ. The last thing we see here is that the Sabbath reveals the love of God. The Sabbath was initially supposed to be a gift to mankind, but the religious leaders had actually turned it into a curse. They were straining out a gnat, but they were swallowing a camel. They were so focused on the letter of the law that, listen, they missed the heart of God. So focused on the letter. And God knows what we're made of. We're made of dust. We get weary. We get tired. And that's why he sent his son to carry the load of weight that each person is weighed down with. 
And so practically speaking, should you have a day of the week that you rest? Declare it as holy before the Lord. Well, it's clear that your salvation is not dependent upon that. If you don't show up to church, if you don't have a day of rest, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. But it's also clear that we are not bound to the Old Testament law. But I believe that taking time each week to set aside that time helps us to remember that God was the originator of the idea. And if God rested after six days of work, someone who didn't need to rest, right? Who are we to think that we can just keep pushing hard and not face detrimental results? And so we need to take this time to remember that the work has been done. I want to say a little bit about the life groups for a moment. Now look, the excuses are going to come, right? I can't do the life group because A, B, C, D, you list your thing. I'm working, I'm this, I'm that, whatever else. There's going to be plenty of excuses about the life groups. There's plenty of excuses I've heard through the years. I could write a book on the excuses of why I don't come to church, right? You are in charge of ordering your own life. Don't let life order you. Pick a job that doesn't make you work on Saturdays. Or Sundays, I mean. Pick a job. Do something with your kids that doesn't interfere. When I was a kid, you know what? Nothing was on Wednesday nights. Absolutely nothing. No sports, no play practice, nothing. You know why? Because catechism was on Wednesday nights. They recognized back in small town Wisconsin that Wednesday was a time when most people went to church. And nobody would show up to the stuff that they you know, did. That has completely changed in our culture. You have to be counterculture if you want to follow the Lord. That's just a statement of life. You know, we might not, I talked about uh, persecution in the you know, church a few weeks ago, right? We probably won't have somebody banging down our door in our lifetime, maybe our children's, you know, telling us we can't go to church or come in and close the church or whatever. However, it's already starting. You're already getting it, infiltrating into your lives. And the more ground you give up, the harder it's going to be. If you can't even show up to church on Sunday morning because I got this sport thing, how are you going to stand against them when they come to your door? We need this. Your time on earth is limited. Psalm 103.15 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And in its place, there is no more. Don't fall into your grave exhausted, having taken no time for rest or holiness. Don't crash into the dirt at the end of your days, carrying your own yoke. Don't cram your life so full of stuff that there's not even a millimeter of margin, like my friend David. Instead, hear the invitation of Jesus. Come, you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. We need rest. We need those times of holiness. And so I encourage you to set those apart. Separate them. Put a guard around them. This area you can't touch world. You can't touch work. 
You can't touch my job. You can't touch sports. You can't touch entertainment, vacation. I haven't missed a day at church in 20 years. I'm not saying that to boast. I just can't do it. I love it so much. When we go on vacation, I find a little church somewhere. And we go and we attend it. <laughs> because it's, I put a guard around it. You can't touch it, world. I know this is heavy law. You know, it's, it's not intended to be. It's, God loves us so much. He wants us to set aside this time. He wants us to have this for ourselves so that we can be in relationship with him. You'd be jealous, right? If your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever spent just a minuscule amount of time with you each week and the world just engulfed everything and every time you called for a date, well, I'd love to, but, you know, the Packers are playing. <laughs> You'd be mad. You'd be upset. Don't waste your life with those kinds of things. And Father God, we come before you and Lord, I pray for people. Help them to put a guard around things in their life that you have declared as important. And Lord, we just thank you for the work that you've done, the salvation that you've given us, that we don't have to labor. We don't have to work hard to get an A because you have done it for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.